0: Hello friends, welcome to Redrawing the Bath. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with blogger, podcast host, and the author of the book, Apparent Faith, What Fatherhood Taught Me About the Father's Heart, Carl Forehand. Carl, thank you for being on the show.
1: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: So I want to start by talking a little bit about your spiritual upbringing, where you've been, what you studied, what what you've done up to this point in your life.
1: Yeah, I began my life. I began my life. I was a Southern Baptist originally, you know, real conservative, um, evangelical, and just, you know, probably around the age of seven. I uh, was convinced by my pastor that I was a dirty, rotten sinner. And so I, I walked the aisle and um, was baptized and all that stuff. We went to a private school when I was in junior high. Which is, um, you know, where I learned a lot of things like how to steal and <laughs> how to be bad. I think <laughs> how to smoke. I smoked for a little while, you know, and things like that. Um, but then, you know, like a lot of people in high school and college, I uh, quote unquote went astray. Just went my own way and tried to discover uh, what was true. And then, as a young adult you know, kind of contemplating having children and things like that and and after being married, um, went back into what was comfortable for me, not necessarily what I what was best for me or anything like that. I just uh, found something that was comfortable where I could fit in and so that was that happened to be a Baptist church again. So um, rejection and fitting in and kind of themes in my life. so um, I wanted something that was comfortable that I could, you know, and, and, and as will happen, you know, pretty soon I started um, teaching Sunday school to seventh graders <clears throat> and worked in the youth. And then when we moved to Omaha, just um, uh, started to kind of be convicted that maybe I could, I could be a pastor someday and started studying for that, um, went into the ministry about uh, 25 years ago from today, you know, from right now. Um, went into the ministry, See uh, my bachelor's degree, was working on my master's when a small church called me. <clears throat> and we uh, took a cut and pay, a big cut and pay, and went to a small town, had culture shock, but um, real quickly learned, you know, it was the fitting in thing, uh, a uh, church planter even said, you know, what you want to do is you just want to fit in. You want to, you know, be like them and do the things they do and fit in. And so I got really good at that. Those, those three churches over 20 years was how I succeeded. You know, I would, I would fit in, um, you know, make myself like them. Um, Not necessarily that I was, I was totally phony or anything like that, but I just got good at melding in and and blending in with them. And and I think what, what I finally realized towards the end of that 20 years is just that some of my beliefs weren't making sense to me anymore. Mm. We had, um, had lunch, uh, or breakfast, or I think it was, re- I think it was at lunchtime, but it was breakfast with my adult kids. And we had gone through all these 20 years of ministry and, and raised them amongst all that. And what I realized was they were teaching me, and it, and if they're teaching me things, what I realized was I had been complacent. I hadn't, hadn't examined my beliefs, and, and um, that got me to thinking, got me to examining my beliefs, and then a short time later, it just got where it was more of a burden, where I couldn't um, stay where I was at, that that... Um, that burden was, was not just that I might be wrong about some things it, I was pretty sure that I was, and I couldn't keep tap dancing around it and, and just kept feeling more pressure. And finally we just stepped down from ministry and uh, eventually took some time off of work. Even I had a side job that had developed into a career and just took some time off and wrote a book. And interesting enough, you know I had the experience with my children and and the way I chose to examine my beliefs was to look back at that time uh, of raising my children and the lessons I learned you know right or the things I did right the things I did wrong but but it just kind of you know gave me a sense of what the heart of a father should be you know I'm not saying that I was a perfect parent, but um, looking at what the heart of a father should be, um, and then I applied that to God. Two lenses I looked through. I was beginning to learn that it was much more efficient to, much more effective to look at God through the lens of Christ and, and see see God through the lens of Jesus. Um, but also at the same time, <clears throat> I began. I was beginning to understand that it was it would be effective to look um, look at the heart of God through the heart of a father. And, um, it was just kind of that thing of wrestling with, uh, how can God be worse than me? How can God have a worse temper than me? Um, which one of my children could I torment forever for not believing in me or not obeying me or whatever? Um, and so I wrestled around with those ideas and eventually wrote the book that you mentioned, um, just because writing for me helps me um, determine what I think. So, you know, that's been a few years ago. And so we're, we're kind of um, growing with that. You know, we went through that, I guess you'd call it a deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Went through that time of, of really examining our beliefs, really deeply looking at what we believed and kind of tearing some things down. But now, I, I suppose we're in the process of reconstruction, of rebuilding, re, refinishing, or whatever it is, um, and and that's kind of where we're at.
0: Yeah, no that that makes perfect sense. It um, so you were in three different churches. Were they all in a small town conservative context?
1: Yeah the the my college was in Omaha called it's Grace University. So I've heard that it's a it's a Mennonite type school, but it was a Bible based school. So that kind of led to my first church was an independent Bible church. And they, they were very conservative, conservative fundamentalist. And then my next two churches uh, were Southern Baptist, you know, kind of going back to my roots. There was a church planter there that, you know, that knew about me and kind of pursued me. Um, and we, we kind of helped re all of them were small town. Uh, the first two were in towns of 250 people. Uh, but we would still draw 80, 80, 90 people when we were at our, at our best. Um, you know, and, and then the, the third one was a replant. It was what they call a legacy church where they were trying to, you know, instead of killing the church off, Totally, they just kind of replanted it, you know, yeah. with some new modern stuff. And and it worked pretty well until it didn't. <laughs>
0: that's always how it goes, is it works perfect until there's just, at some point, it seems like you can't do it anymore. Right. It's kind of just pushing a dead horse or a car that's out of gas. Right. Uh, so, I mean, obviously the the deconstruction process happened, and you're you're seeing all these things, and it sounds like a lot of that bled into the book that you wrote. And you said that you kind of stepped out of ministry, but it seems like the the story that I hear from from people that are in circles that you and I both run in is that these people find themselves in in pastorate positions, and then they kind of start going through these faith crises and these deconstructions and reconstructions. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the churches that they're in don't really like it. And and so I, I was wondering if you could speak to that, what your experience was within the churches you were known in and, and you were helping to facilitate what their response was to some of the theology you were you were processing through and rethinking and, and re-understanding.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't get any direct um, confrontation, I guess, about that but i I do know indirectly we had kind of started some yoga and meditation. I say we you know I always include Laura and sometimes she's she does that with me and sometimes not but um you know we didn't get any direct um pushback from that but but you know I think of one one lady that that later on expressed some you know i had I had uh, put a quote on the internet one time from Um, I don't know, let's just say it was, you know, a Buddhist quote or something, you know? And, and later I would, I heard from her real negatively about that. At the time though, she didn't confront us real directly. Mm. You know, it's just that she's pulling away from us and kind of negative towards us and not participating. And she eventually, she was kind of a worship leader and she left, um, you know, kind of suddenly. So we didn't get direct pushback, but we did. And then we would hear hear things from people, and and we're just a little frustrated with people being really anti-gay and things like that. And um, my, uh, you know, some leaders in our denomination were, uh, we had become vegan. And they would make fun of us publicly, you know, for doing that. I, I think they thought it was. Uh, just fun but you know kind of that that stuff kind of piles up on you and you're like if if I'm gonna I'm gonna do something as serious as reconstruct my faith um, that environment does doesn't work for me and I I think a lot of times that's what we find out about churches Uh, it's it's a lot of times very hard to heal um, within certain communities Uh, it's also you know, sometimes we just, you know, people don't have a lot of patience if you ask a lot of questions uh, and they certainly don't want, you know, I think one time I was wrestling with the the issue of should I bake the cake or not? I don't know if you remember that discussion. Hmm, yeah. But, back, you know, back when the, you know, it's whether if a gay couple, you know, wanted wanted you to bake a cake at your bakery, would you do it? And I, decided just to, to preach a sermon, we, or we had naturally come up to a sermon that kind of related to that. And I decided just to wrestle with it in front of the congregation, you know, and, and kind of go back and forth on it and show the debate that happens. And I said, you know, I think I'd bake the cake. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a guy in the audience, just his head kind of spun around and uh, <laughs> I thought it was going to explode off of his shoulders. But uh, and then he had to confront, you know, he came to confront me and and so on. But, yeah, we, I, I guess we did have some direct, some direct confrontation over some of those things. Um, it wasn't anything I, um, that, you know, that was kind of my career and I was used to some, some confrontation. And even in business, I have some confrontation, but uh, a lot of times people didn't go directly at me they would come kind of sideways and go um you know and and like a friend might abandon laura's as a friend and uh, she kind of got the brunt of some of that and so you know after 20 years of doing that i I think we were just we just needed a break so we stepped away
0: yeah no i i hear that i find it interesting i i i recently just left a a Southern Baptist Church, my wife and I did. But before that, we were going to a, um, a church that was pastored by someone who was in leadership with John MacArthur. And mm-hmm. I I will never forget, it, it seemed like any time there was something that I did, and I wasn't even deconstructing at this point. It was just stuff that, they, that I did that they didn't like. Any that I did something, they would always go after Abby, and it would be, Abby's my wife she would be the one that was, that took the brunt of it. It was never really me. It right. was always hers. So I, I always yeah. find that interesting in, in circles like that, yeah. that the the quote unquote, weaker vessel is always the one that's, uh, that's preyed upon for a punitive rebuke.
1: Yeah. It's and the way Laura describes it is a lot of times I would stand up to someone publicly, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and then then you've got that person's wife, Kind of going indirectly, and you know, a lot of times they just do it with their silence. You know, all of a sudden they're not talking to you anymore, or, uh, whatever. You know, and when you're when you're in ministry, you're you're lonely, you know, yeah. and you're you're isolated, and you can't really talk to anybody. When you find somebody you can kind of sort of talk to, you know, and then it's taken away from you without explanation. That's it's hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no isolation is it's it's a beast, and it's mm-hmm. it's something that I wish the the church wasn't set up to to put the people in leadership into positions where they feel isolated because I, it's too too common these days for for people in the pulpit to feel isolated and lonely and depressed. Yeah. Uh, anyways on on that on that light note, mm-hmm. um, you you had mentioned that you had started meditation. At, at at a certain point in your ministry, and I was wondering because from from my growing up, it was always the the meditation model that was always presented to me was the I don't know if you're familiar, but Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, kind of a a Christian meditation where uh, to to his defense, he puts out a really good model of what Christian meditation should look like, but he really does pit Buddhist meditation and uh, Eastern meditation in general against uh, a model of Christian meditation in the sense that he says that uh, Eastern meditation is the emptying of self and Christian meditation is the emptying of self to the point of, uh, of being filled with the Holy spirit. And so I'd be interested to hear what you have to say both to that and also just your experience with meditation in general.
1: Yeah. One of the things that happened probably a year and a half ago that helped me a lot. And, and I do, you know, if you, you talk about meditation, I do have the monkey mind, you know, I, there's a thousand things. I used to not be able to sleep, yeah. you know, at, at night I would stay up really late, um, uh, drag myself out of bed. Uh, and eventually I used, used just a meditation app. And basically all it was, was body scanning and it would just help me, uh relax you know just clear the yeah. thoughts out and so I, I think that was the big thing for me in the beginning i did yoga for for the physicality of it for the stretching and so on um and not anywhere consistently um for people that are worried about yoga being a religion or something i never found it to be that or be to be mm-hmm. challenging it was just it was physically and creating space in your body but another thing that happened <clears throat> about a year and a half ago is I got the chance to go to, a uh, call it spiritual formation with, uh, the sisters of, of, uh, atchison, Kansas. It's Mount St. Scholastica. It's a, and they, they train training to be a spiritual director. And I was interested in that because of coaching. I'd done some coaching and some coaching training with the Southern Baptist, believe it or not. Um, and when i went through that that program with them um they didn't necessarily do meditation but they they really taught um as a way of of spiritual direction we would think of kind of as counseling is they would teach people to go inside you know and they would say that the hindrance is the ego you know it's yeah. that uh, and some people would call that the false self right the uh, maybe Paul would call it the flesh, right It's that yeah. outer part of us, and then they would encourage us to go go inward and to um so even in those sessions where we would you know talk through our issues and so on, um, we'd try to get past that and go go inward and uh they talk about that that inward place uh, as that eternal part of us that's untouched by sin. Um, it's that, mm-hmm. it's that, that, that inner knowing, that knowledge that's there, um, that's pure. And, and um, my friend calls it uh, our invincible preciousness, um, you know, and maybe, maybe we just call that, you know, I don't, anymore I'm not hung up on uh, what you call something, but yeah, I mean it's you know, for me it's always been and um I I really um have I've experimented, I think, quite a bit with different um uh, uh ways of meditating and you know, some of them I liked and some of them I didn't like, some of them just weren't right for me. You know, um and yeah. and you feel that when you do that and oh, that's not right for me. Um, but, uh, you know, something else kind of happened to me, a, um, a couple of summers ago, it's going to be two years this summer is I went to Taiwan and we were visiting my son and through a series of events that I talk about, it's one chapter of my book, and now it's going to be my second book called the tea shop. Mm-hmm. We went to a tea shop where a guy uh, that we didn't know, ended up, you know, we wanted to buy a teapot. He ended up selling us teapots, but then he said, sit down. And so we ended up being there for like two hours and basically he just loved on us and, um, fed us, yeah, he found out we were vegetarian. So he fed us tofu, you know, his, his wife had cooked dinner. And so he fed us dinner and all these kind of things. But, um, wow. he was, but the 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 funny thing about all of that is I didn't feel a need to evangelize him or mm-hmm. convince him of my faith, even though he was probably a Buddhist. Um, but just for two hours or so, we just kind of cared for each other. And and even though we couldn't speak the we didn't speak the same language, we had an interpreter, um, we were able just to genuinely love each other. And and that that affected me too because one of the things he was he was talking about to us through an interpreter was his practice, and he had some kind of some kind of yoga practice that was, was, it was seemed to be about flexibility, and and this guy was like sixty, but he's like moves like a teenager, um, you, you know. But he didn't he didn't tell me about his beliefs. He told me about his practice. And I think that's significant. And I've written about that a couple of times. And really, that's the only way I know what I think is by writing. Um, but I think I think practices are important, you know? Yeah. Um, but, I, I, you know, just even between Laura and I, though, we've realized uh, our practices don't have to be exactly the same. Yeah. And that we need to find out what feeds our soul, and and now I have what I would call contemplative friends, and uh, it, it just seems like there's a lot of them in my life. Um, these contemplative friends that will do contemplative prayer or what Brian Zahn calls setting with Jesus, hmm. um, and they, uh, um, I just feel really blessed to have have those kind of friends in my life where. Uh, they don't try to solve my problems. Don't give me spiritual answers, but they they talk about their practice. They talk about just uh, being still, you know, and that that if uh, if I don't do it today, I don't have to do it today. But it's but I want to because I long for it. I want to go back to it. Yeah, does that uh, does that help you at all? <laughs> I probably oh didn't yeah, answer no, the question that, at all, but.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's super helpful. It, I think in so many ways that answered the question of, it, it, it's so interesting because you have so many different parts of the church. And I mean, I know that there are parts of the church that both you and I would no longer identify with, but some of the, the more popular people in those circles, especially since you mentioned that you were in the Southern Baptist Convention for a while, that some of these people would talk about yoga, meditation, and be like, well, I'm just not going to do it because you just never know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's just such a spirit of of fear, and so I, it always it makes me so happy to hear people that have found something that works for them, and they're not afraid to to walk in the spirit into that practice or discipline. And it, I I love the fact that you mentioned con- contemplative friends, as as so much of of uh, the the church in general has this concept that to to find solutions we just kind of tell each other stuff we act, we bypass the problem with solutions we don't actually like you said talk about the practice yeah um, so i think that's very profound and and, and super helpful it, so the the meditation i mean how how has it impacted you over the course of this time i mean you mentioned that you had some insomnia but I mean, I can't imagine that that some of the things that you and and Laura went through were were the easiest, either just physical stress or emotional stress, but also spiritual stress. It sounds like how is it how has it excuse me, impacted your experience as a as a Christ follower uh during during this time?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's uh, sounds really simple, but I say this a lot. Um, it's allowed us to breathe. And I think that's important. Um, you mentioned fear. So, you know, even in the Bible, it says 360 times someone told me, uh, don't be afraid. Uh, yet, yet that's a primary motivation for a lot of Christians is, you know, this is what I'm afraid of. And I want to avoid that. And And I can say, you know, in all my exploration and all my trying to find um, what I believe about God, um, the, the slippery slope wasn't really there. You know, <laughs> and I and I didn't even you know Cindy Wang Brandt, Wong Brandt, uh, who's from Taiwan. Also, we talked to her one day, and she said, you know, maybe everybody should take a gap year from church. Just take a year off. Yeah. And and I remember what she said. She said if you can't, then you need to ask yourself why you can't, uh-huh. you know, is it that you're afraid? Is it you're shamed when you do? Um, and so we, we took some time off the of church cause we had to, I mean, it was just, uh-huh. there's so many triggers, um, so many things we had been through. So we took some time off, but you know what? I didn't fall down some cliff. I didn't, you know, evil didn't just rush in and get me, or yeah. something like that. You know, what I what I found though is some more genuine things that genuinely help me, and and a lot of it is that is that kind of stuff. It's just being able to breathe. You know, yeah. uh, fear's not running my life, so I don't have to control everything. Um, we live now with less certainty which doesn't sound good to a traditional, uh, conservative evangelical, but we live with less certainty, but I think more faith, um, and paradox and mystery. And a lot of those things have, we just have room for them. And I think, I think in the, you know, in a modern evangelical world, um, Sarah Bessie said, um, Sometimes that the church just doesn't have room for our pain, mm, um, yeah we don't have time- you know there's no there's no time for it, there's no time to ask questions. we're just kind of on this machine of we call it evangelizing people, right, and sometimes it's more like a multi level marketing group than a than an organism or a family like they say it is, yeah, you know and and we're all afraid, and we're afraid someone's going to come over the wall and take over the church, or you know, or we're just going to slip into sin and, and things like that. Um, but I've found that not to be true, you know. <laughs> that yeah, um, if if I can take it, if I can take some time, um, you know, just like in meditation, how those those thoughts can uh, you get rid of those all those monkey thoughts and just breathe, um, and maybe just listen. Now, uh, contemplative prayer is literally that. It's listening. It's just sitting still and getting rid of the other thoughts so that I can listen to what uh, the divine is trying to say to me. And uh, we found that very uh, nourishing. You know, and like I said, it's different for me than, than it is for my wife. But uh, I've I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Brian Zahn's prayer school.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty familiar. I've 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 wanted to go for the last year or so, but it just it's never worked out the way yeah. I've wanted it to.
1: Yeah, he he incorporates a lot of liturgy into that prayer school, and mm-hmm. it's very effective. He teaches it all over the world, literally. Yeah. Um, he's just almost constantly teaching that that prayer school, and it works for a lot of people. And he'll tell them at the end of it, he'll say, do this, you know, like, like, I, like I taught you, do it for uh, several months or a couple of months. And then he says, then you you need to incorporate the things that work for you, hmm. you know, and, and some of these things might not work as well. And some of them will, but, um, you know, it's for us, yeah. for me, it's it's stillness you know be still and know that i'm gone um that's that's just the key for me
0: yeah yeah and you you mentioned something earlier and i'm I'm always interested to hear what, what people have to say about this but you said that during your deconstruction process that you started finding it more uh i don't, I don't remember the wording you used but more useful more fruitful even um to start viewing God as Jesus and to start viewing God as a father. Mm-hmm. Um, so with what you just said with, with be still and know that I'm God incorporating that into your contemplation, into your meditation, I think so much of the church, I mean, you even said it when I asked you about, um, about your life, you said that your, your pastor had convinced you that you were a, a dirty sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what does that look like now in, in your meditation practice to, to focus on God as Jesus and God as father. Cause I feel like for so many of us, we're, we're beginning to to recognize that, but mm-hmm. at the same time, there's so much in us that's like, oh yeah, well, Jesus is God and, and God is love, but I'm a worm, you know? Yeah, Like that's kind of the, the rhetoric. So I'd be interested as uh, how has that impacted your practice?
1: Yeah. And again, it was, it was a lot of things that, that affected that. But um, when I did the spiritual Formation with the sisters at, in Atchison, um, a lot of people, not just me, uh, described that as a warm embrace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was just like having a whole bunch of mothers, you know, around you, genuinely caring for you and listening to you. And um, so they, they kind of showed me, showed me God in that way. And I felt it. They also taught me about, you know, that you store things in your body and, and and a lot of the things we deal with are stored there in your body and you've got to, you've got to observe that, uh, see it and have compassion for it. And so, you know, I felt that warm embrace. I think, um, that's what I feel. And I, I would describe it as shadow work that I did after that, where, you know the stuff that i had stuffed down inside of me uh, had to come out had to deal with it had to have compassion on it but you know in that process i don't know if you're familiar with the inner child and
0: uh, mm-hmm. carl
1: jung and that kind of stuff but i i dealt with the shadowish and that that um opened me up kind of to inner child and stuff within me that was wounded and and needed compassion needed healing um so, you know, all of that stuff just kind of works together. And number one, you realize that you're an adult, but also I think you see, you know, the divine as the caretaker, the father uh, of you. And, and in some ways, the warm embrace, the mother, kind of mother hen, you know, that talks about. Um, and, and all of those things to me kind of, kind of work together. Yeah. um yeah it's just a it's it's a it's kind of a mosaic picture of uh, you know not it's it's not like like a doctrine i've been taught um, mm-hmm. but something i know now or i'm yeah. be, i'm beginning to know
0: it's a it's an experience it's much less mm-hmm. a, a theology lesson it's a it's it's more so of something that you have to go through yourself yeah. to begin to understand and yeah. it seems like that's the that's the paradox that so much of the church is is uncomfortable with that that God is God is father but he is also mother in a mm-hmm. sense that there is that both of the both both of those genders are are represented in in the godhead by God himself and I don't think that we've ever really known how to reconcile that as a as a civilization partly because we're patriarchal right but it's yeah. it, it's it's good that, that that's kind of finally coming to the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you about with, with meditation and, um, and, and yoga and, and whatnot. I wanted to talk to you about your, you mentioned that you were vegan mm-hmm. and I wanted to talk to you about that as a spiritual practice. I know that um, a, a lot of people within certain circles that you and I both run in are, are very much aware of what's going on with the climate when everything started happening in, happening in Australia, things that are happening to creatures all over the planet. Um, you have people like Richard Rohr talk about panentheism. Um, there's a big movement and, and resurgence to kind of take care, or not kind of, but to really take care of the environment that's been given to us um, yeah. that is very much countercultural. So I'd be interested to see, obviously there are other reasons why people are vegan, but how has that impacted your spiritual practice to give up of that food group.
1: Yeah, I'd say about four years ago, my brother-in-law had um died of a heart attack at 48. Wow. Um and then, you know, a couple of years after that, I was um about that age.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I was taking a whole lot a lot of medicine for gout and high blood pressure and high cholesterol. I'd had some seizures probably because of one of the medicines I was taking. Um, just, uh, I was really unhealthy at back, se- severe back problems. And we had tried like a keto diet and, and it just made us hurt worse. <laughs> it didn't really help us. And so um, my friend who was Christian singer a, a year before that had, Had came to sing at our church, the church that I was replanting, and she 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 asked for a a vegan menu option when we went out to eat. Um, Then this year she came back, and I said, "We got to do something. You know what? Did what did you do? What? How do I do this?" And she just recommended a documentary, and we kind of took it from there and began to eat differently. Mm -hmm. About six months later, I gave up almost all of my medicines, just one um, um, blood pressure, real low. You know, they put me on a different blood pressure medicine. It was a lot less um, mm. invasive or, you know, whatever. And then uh, uh, it might've been a year or so after that, when I finally gave up the seizure medicine, uh, mm. which frightened me because, you know, yeah, I bet. I didn't want to go through that again. But, um, so, so we, um, our health, you know, it's greatly improved. Um, so, it's all, so it's all great. But I think over time, then we also began to care more about the environment, um, and things like that. And, <clears throat> um, this, um, uh, you know, experience, with the, the sisters we they they mentioned one of them mentioned you got to go out to this forest of friendship it's a place where they have trees from every state in the union and i went out mm-hmm. to that this place and i dropped my phone i broke it i was kind of down <laughs> you know I was kind of upset but it yeah. still worked so i went and sat down um in the middle of those trees kind of in a coal cul-de-sac of trees and sat on a bench there and, and started playing some music that was meaningful to me. And uh, I'm part Native American, so it was it was a Native American song that I'd found, and it meant something to me. Yeah. And I sat down and um, played that song, and, and kind of in that moment, I felt a kinship with, uh, with nature. And, and I said to myself, or the thought just came to me, I'm a part of this. Uh, and yep. this is a part of me. We're connected. And, and I felt that, you, you know, as much as I used to like to look back at my native American heritage, you know, it's only like a 16th or something like that, but I came from Oklahoma and there's a lot of talk about that, but I felt it for the first time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, you know, I, uh, it's, it's just a, it's just a, an, another part of, of my spirituality in the beginning, you know, I was so excited because my health had changed and I was trying to convince everybody else, you know, you need to do this too, <laughs> but that doesn't really work, you know, because yeah. people are, it's just like religion, you know, people are invested in, in their lifestyle and, yeah. and it's, it's hard to convince them without uh, making them feel really bad. But, yeah, what well, but yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think um, it's not just good that we should do something for the planet. I think it's getting kind of critical, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's kind of picking up speed yeah. where, where we don't, we, we may not have a lot of time. I hate to be that way. You know, I hate to, you know, say things that would invoke fear, but, but I think it it's getting more critical that we do something. Um, yeah to save the planet.
0: And it, and it seems to. I mean the 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 common retort to people that are like like yourself that are telling people that we need to hurry and do something for the environment before there's no environment for us to do something for. It's always that, that this is fear, but there's a I feel like there there has to be a difference between between fear and urgency in the mm-hmm. sense that you you can be urgent without necessarily creating a, an environment of fear of, of what's yeah. going on with the environment. It, it is, yeah. it's becoming irreparable, but.
1: And, and a lot of times with, with the vegan issue, people go back to whether or not it's scriptural or not. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that to me, that's really not the issue. The issue is, um, what can I do? Um, that's good for the environment. That's good for the animals and that's good for us. And mm-hmm. and so, what's my best option right now? And and maybe you know, maybe someone's approach is just to you know start recycling, right, mm-hmm. or or something. But but what can I do? How can I live my life that's best for all three of those things? And yeah, it's really not a scriptural issue, I don't think. Um, you know, we could we could get into that, but I not very fruitful most times
0: no no it's not at all yeah no i so we're we're slowly running out of time but before before we close i'd really love to ask you two two more questions but the first one is as far as it goes with um with meditation and yoga and um also veganism what what are some resources that people are like you know i may want to try this i may want to look into this or people who are like i really want to make this my lifestyle but i don't know where to start where would you push those people to
1: okay um with with the plant-based lifestyle there's there's a few places like uh, forks over knives um eating you alive Um, those are two kind of kind of website places that to start and then you'll you'll find there's a um, nutritionfacts.org is a, is a guy that's devoted his life to, to, um, real research and he runs a nonprofit and, um, does the best research. So those three places for that. Um, we also have, we have a Facebook page called four eyed plant eater, um, okay. out there. There's about 600 people on it, I think. Um, but that would be the best. Um, you know, with with meditation yoga, I don't, um, I don't, I don't really want to, you know, tunnel someone <laughs> into yep. a place. Um, we do we do have a Facebook group called Desert Sanctuary, and we created it because when people start to wrestle with their faith, faith they sometimes feel like they're wandering out into the desert. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have a we we have a nice. Um, that's my website. It's Desert Death Sanctuary, um, mm-hmm. but then the Facebook group also. We just we try to create kind of safe places where people can talk about that kind of stuff without getting ridiculed. Um, and we kick people off pretty fast if they're, if they're being abusive. So um, mm-hmm. I'd say start there. But 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 just like you talked about, and just like we talked about, don't be afraid, right? Um, just just explore. and and trust that you're going to find the thing that's, that's effective for you. Um, With, with yoga, we like yoga with Adrian. She's a lady from Austin that has millions of followers and she keeps it simple and light, you know, Um, and we like that. So,
0: yeah, no, that's a, those are some good places to point. Um, And I definitely echo for anyone listening about, the the facebook group and the website there are some really good and helpful conversations going on for those of you that are experiencing the the isolation that oftens come with a that often comes with with faith crisis and deconstruction and reconstruction so yeah. i highly recommend uh looking at both that facebook page and the site um other than that i mean where we we've mentioned the website we've mentioned the facebook page where else can people find you
1: yeah just um the main, main place is the desert sanctuary, um, desert sanctuary, desert dash sanctuary.com. And that has my podcasts, uh, blogs, um, and, and then the, the Facebook group that, that kind of mirrors that it's just yeah. called the desert sanctuary. Um, but all those things. And then, um, if you're there, you'll see some of my friends and, and their stuff that they have out online that's really good too, like messy, messy spirituality and some things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but, but just don't be afraid, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get out there and explore and, um, and see what you, yeah. See for yourself.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a great, great note to end on. Don't be afraid and see for yourself. Well, Carl, thank you so much for, for being with me today and, and talking about just your story and 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 the practices that that have impacted you. I know that it's helped me and blessed me and I I hope that it blesses others through this conversation.
1: Um, that's good. Thank you. Thank for thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. All right. Talk to you later.
1: See you later, man.